The Old Testament lesson for this transfiguration of our Lord is written in the third chapter of the second book of Moses called the Exodus, beginning at the first verse. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning. Yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why the bush is not burned? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet. For the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of the land to a good land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I said I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I have sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said, If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You are the most handsome of the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The epistle lesson is written in the first chapter of St. Peter's second epistle, beginning at the 16th verse. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, 
that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own private interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spake from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. Hallelujah. The Holy Gospel is written in the 17th chapter of St. Matthew, beginning at the first verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Six days after Peter said that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His garments became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is well that we are here. If you wish, I will make three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, lo, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Arise and do not be afraid. But they were. They were afraid. A hundred disasters had darkened the last 17 years of his outlived reign. Earthquakes were especially frequent in this, in this dozen years. A dozen cities were almost totally wiped out by earthquakes, and it had drained the, the treasury to try to rehabilitate them. And then came the plague, the plague of 558, and then, then another plague came, and then there was a famine, and then the next year, next year the, the Kotrigger Huns crossed the Danube, and they plundered Moesia and Thrace, burning and pillaging and and violating matrons and virgins and nuns and throwing to the dogs the infants born among the women captives along the march. It was terrible. And they were advancing upon the walls of Constantinople. And so the elderly Justinian called to his great general, Belisarius, one more time to, to save him. And Belisarius, though he was elderly... He answered the call of his emperor. He found but 300 veterans. That's all there was in the city. So neglected the army was. He found 300 veterans who had fought with him in Italy years before. And he recruited a few hundred untrained men. And they went out to meet the 7,000 Huns. But Belisarius disposed his forces with his wanton foresight and skill. And concealed 200 of his best soldiers in the flanks along the woods. 
And then he, had, then he took his little army, the elderly general, and he marched out to, to meet the Huns. And his soldiers hit him from the flanks, threw the barbarians into disorder, and not one Roman soldier, and this was the end of the Romans, by the way, this is the very end of what can really be called Romans, that not one Roman soldier died. It was an amazing victory, a miracle of arms, really, a miraculous deliverance. But were the people happy? Were they grateful? No. The populace of the capital complained that Belisarius had not pursued the enemy hard enough, had not captured their leader. And anyways, he probably wanted, wanted to be the emperor himself. He was probably conspiring against Justinian, who was, who was very paranoid by this time in his life. And after his wife had been dead now 17 years, he was very, very paranoid and very jealous of Belisarius. And so he had the man dismissed, humiliated. And the old general quietly went back to his house for a few years and then died. And I think we too are kind of like those old Romans of the Eastern Empire. Because we have much to fear. And we're afraid frequently, aren't we? We are. I mean, right now, you know, there's this novel coronavirus coming, burning through China and filtering its way towards the West. The West. And maybe in six months we'll all laugh about it. It never, nothing really happened. Or maybe we won't be. But even if it does turn out to be an exaggeration, there'll be something else to take its place, right? There'll be, there'll be our jobs to worry about or our health to worry about in some other way or there'll be some other disease or some other con- concern or some other thing, right? Because, because whether it's delivered by plague or famine or accident or war, right, there's always a reason to be afraid. Fear comes in a multitude of flavors. It's served up in many different ways. And as Will Durant says in his great history book, he says, in the end, death settles all the questions, doesn't it? It does. Because that's really what we're afraid of ultimately. We're all ultimately afraid of death. Now, we can deny it, right? We can not show fear in front of those around us. But deep down inside, we know that this is true. We know that deep down inside, we are merely whistling past the graveyard. Because, you see, all of us, from our very conception, have been hardwired to understand one thing, and that is that man was not meant to die. Not in the beginning, we weren't. We were never designed to die. No, we weren't. We die because of sin. Sin that our fathers gave to us, that we never even had a chance. And sin that we willfully and and happily add to our own. And we know deep down inside that when God says in Hebrews 9, 27, that it is appointed for men once to die, and after this the judgment, we know this is true. We know it is, don't we? Yes, we do. We know it's true. And yet, I have good news. And the good news is this, is that in the very next verse in Hebrews 9, verse 9, 28, we read that Christ was offered to bear the sins of the many, the sins of the world, our sins, because we are part of the many. In fact, John writes 
that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that amazing? What a wonderful thing. And how does John know this? How does John understand this? He understands this because, you see, John, like Peter, was on that mountain. John, like Peter, knows who Jesus really is, that he is not only man, but he is also God. He is the God-man. And how does he know? Because he was an eyewitness to it. He saw Elijah. He saw Moses. And he was there when the voice came out of the cloud saying, this, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. The vaccine for your fears, the inoculation for your fears, the fears of death that plague us is in these words that come from the cloud on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And we're afraid because we don't, do we? We don't listen to him. We have our screens and our media and our music and all these different things that, are, that we listen to. And the one person we should listen to, we don't. And that's why we live our days in fear. If you don't want to be afraid, I know I don't want to be afraid. We need to listen to him. I need to listen to him. We need to listen to him. Why do we need to listen to him? Because you see, as Peter makes very clear after the feeding of the 5,000, when everyone else was leaving Jesus, Peter says to, to, to you know, Jesus says to Peter, are you going to leave? And what, is, what does Peter say? Lord, to whom, where, where are we going to go? You, you have the words of eternal life. Christ has the words of eternal life, right? If you have eternal life, that means you can't die. In fact, since humanity's fallen to sin, God, we know from Hebrews chapter 1, at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. But we know that now in these last days, he has spoken to us through his, his son, which is what that piece of artwork represents. A son who tells us that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. A son who says, whoever believes upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. A son who says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. You know, the, the quote in the, the newsletter for this month, right? Take your yoke upon yourself and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many heavy burdens are we bearing right now needlessly, needlessly? Oh, no. Now the Son comes to set us free from the bondage of sin, death, and the devil. The Son comes because He is both God and man. He, he can exchange His life for all of our lives. And there still be enough grace left over from, for, for countless generations so that none might perish. 
And the key to Jesus' salvation for us is found in his everlasting life-giving words. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's why the Father says listen to him. And if we listen to him, we will see what Peter, James, and John saw. We will see it just as they saw it. If we look for Jesus and his transfiguration with our ears and not with our eyes. Now, our eyes have been blinded by sin. We only see this world with our eyes. Even even if we think we can see, we really can't. I mean, they're blinded by sin. But if we look for Jesus with his word, if we use our ears, right, then we will understand that the transfiguration of Jesus Christ is not an isolated event. It is not. It happens every time two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name. He says he is in the midst of them. He is transfigured in that moment for them. The God-man, the one of salvation. This happens all the time. Look, look, look at this, look at the action of what happens in our gospel lesson. Jesus took them up onto a, onto a high mountain. The same thing happens in our, in our own church. We come up to the baptismal font. We come up to the, to the altar. Because what is a high mountain? It's land that is, land that is, is counter, is overlapping with, with heaven. Because in the ancients, the, the ancient mind, heaven begins where earth stops. In fact, you walk, you you spend your whole life in the first heaven, because the first heaven is where the earth stops. The only part of our bodies that touch the earth. That's why we're. That's one of the things about. That's part of the analogy. The whole idea that we're made in the image of God, right? Because like God, we walk. We we, we exist more in heaven than we do on earth. The only part of part of our bodies that touch the earth is the sole of our feet, or when we're sleeping. That's it. And so he takes them up into a place where heaven and earth overlaps. That's what that, the analogy, the metaphor of that mountain is. That, and, and it's not just a metaphor, it's a real thing. It actually happened, right? And how do we know it actually happened? Because Peter, James, and John are sitting there, and heaven appears to them. People who are in heaven appear to Jesus, and they're with Jesus. And they're not just visions. I mean, they're actually like talking to Jesus. They're having a conversation. On one side, the writer of the Torah, Mo- Moses, I mean, the most significant Bible writer of the scriptures who wrote more, more significant books of the scriptures than any other person, with it maybe the exception of St. Paul over here. And over here is the greatest of all the preachers, greatest of all the prophets, Elijah. And Peter, James, and John are seeing this. They are in heaven. That the clouds also communicate this reality. And then, that, then there's a bright cloud that overshadows everybody. And from that cloud, you hear the voice of the Father. One of the few times the, the Father actually speaks in scripture. And he says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And if we listen to him, then we will see also the transfiguration of our own lives. And how does that happen? When we listen to him, we come to the baptismal font. And there we're born again of water and the spirit. So that the old, the sinful, passes away and everything becomes new. That happens when we listen to him. When we listen to him, we confess our sins to him and we receive absolution. Because God says if you confess your sins, he is gracious and merciful and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And when we listen to him, we come to his table where he is. Because where Christ is, heaven is. 
Just as the ancient Romans viewed where the emperor was, there was the capital. The capital wasn't Rome or Constantinople. The, 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 the capital was wherever the emperor was. So where is heaven? Heaven is at the altar in the Lord's Supper. And we come there and we take and we eat and we take and we drink the forgiveness of sins given and shed for us. In Jesus' body and blood that are under those veils of bread and wine. What, what an amazing miracle. And we know this because we listen to him. And we walk away from that holy altar, that, that Lord's Supper, that holy table. Forgiven. Now with the great, wonderful comfort of knowing that for me to live is Christ and die is gain. That whatever happens today is going to be a good outcome. Yes, from the altar and from the baptismal font and from the the parish where we hear God's word preached and declared, we can obey Christ's command to arise and do not be afraid. Yes, we arise. And we're not afraid anymore. Why? Because now we are in Christ, and if any man be in Christ... He is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and everything has become new. All the old things are of God. All things are now of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And so if we are reconciled to God the Father through the Son, God the Son, Jesus Christ, that means that God is now for us. And if God is for us, who who can be against us? And that's why under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle wrote in Romans 8, he said, Now I know that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I say to you this morning, y'all this morning, let us all arise and not be afraid. In the name of Jesus, amen.